Hey everyone, and welcome to Pilates 101, the podcast where our mission is to deliver all the latest and most up-to-date information on anything and everything related to the Pilates industry to you to help you grow your dreams and your businesses right now. My name's Glenn Withers, I'm one of the founders of APPI Health Group and APPI Clinics, and it's my delight to bring another episode of Pilates 101 to you guys. Uh, before I go on, a big shout out to everyone that has joined into the first two episodes. We've had a great response so far, so uh, I greatly appreciate that. We've listened to all your feedback about future content as well. And it's great to hear many of you listening to the podcast and your journeys to or, or from your studios or even listening in while you uh, do a Pilates session at home and some of you out there exercising and listening to this as well. We, we greatly appreciate your support. So on that, uh, let's have a, a look at what we're going to talk about on this episode. The key feature for this episode is a review of our experience of opening our studios for classes, um, which has occurred over the last uh, 10 days to two weeks or so. Um, we've got some really great questions and answers from you guys that we will go over. And we'll have a look at some of the interesting stories from around the globe in terms of health and fitness and some interesting statistics and evidence that's coming out of the US as well. We've got a little idea to try and uh, unite to help support our, our friends and colleagues in Beirut with the uh, terrible incident that has occurred there, and a few other thoughts and ideas for future episodes towards the end. So let's uh, get cracking with talking about our experience of return to classes. So with, with return to classes for us, like I'm sure all of you, we spent a, a lot of time and energy and focus on trying to ensure that we had our processes and protocols in place as best we could. And so I guess that's probably where it's um, appropriate for me to start. And we talk about how people come in entering and exiting the building. So for us uh, at our studios, we looked at the um, sanitizing stations first of all and where should they be placed, how should we do it and, and, and what's the, the best way to go about that. So we went with wall-mounted hand sanitizer stations. We found five key places around the centers that we wanted to place the sanitizers and we went ahead and got those installed. Now, one question that we've often uh, often asked or have been asked over the last few weeks is who we've used for the hand sanitizer stations. So we've used a company called the Hand Hygiene Company. Um, and the reason I used them is that I just felt they had a very modern, sleek look to the, the product. I was trying not to make it too medicalized or, or too industrialized in the way that uh, the sanitizer was there. So it's a very modern, sleek looking dispenser. And they also can give you monthly refills without you having to actually order. You can just get a standing order on your monthly refills, which just cuts down on one more administrative process. And, you know, I'm all about automating as much as what we can right now to make our lives easier. So um, we've gone for, for them and so far, so good um, experience-wise for us. Um, all right, so uh, let me talk you, you through it. So people come in and they open the front door and right inside the front door is the first hand sanitizer station on uh, the wall there. So people sanitize their hands and then walk up and before they check into reception, they are asked to go and wash their hands. And this has been one interesting insight that I thought I would share with you guys, and you may or may not have had the same experience. We've had a number of clients questioning why they have to wash their hands because they just sanitize them on entry. So the process there is that obviously when they touch the front door, that's a common touch point for uh, people to be touching. And so they sanitize their hands straight away after touching that particular touch point. 
And then they come upstairs with the hand sanitizer in order to touch the taps in the bathrooms to wash their hands. So that's the reason for the sanitizing is to protect the taps themselves for when clients wash their hands in order to reduce any risk of transmission through that common touch point. They wash their hands and then they check in at reception and head up to the studios. Now there again, we have another hand sanitizer station placed outside of each studio. Um, and that is predominantly for when they exit the class. So they exit class, they sanitize their hands and then wash hands before they exit the building again. So they come into class and um, then you look at the class sizes. So in our studios, we have, have separate studios for our reformer and our mat classes. So let me talk about the reformer classes first of all. Um, so we, uh, in our Hampstead studio, we normally have six uh, machines in place. In our Wimbledon studio, there were five. Um, so we've reduced both studios down to four machines. They've been separated um, one and a half to two meters in distance um, around between the machines and between the foot bars. They all facing towards the middle. And then the teacher will teach from the middle of the room and sort of not move around quite as much as before. Clients are asked on entering the facility to have a face covering um, of any sort, their choice, um, but they are able to remove that face covering once they're on their reformer or on their mat to take class in line with current government guidance. Teachers, however, in our studios are all wearing face masks, so there is a barrier between them and the, the clients in the class. And one of the things that I think is important and it's been sort of pushed forward to us in terms of our government guidance here in the UK is that you embrace your employees and your team members in your decision making. So we engage with our staff and we gave them the choice. They need to wear a face covering, so whether that's a, uh, a mask or a visor or both, that is their choice. Um, for me, uh, I think in group teaching that the visor is a, a better option. Um, and that's more so because you can still try and create some of that sort of atmosphere and engagement in terms of your facial expression with your clients. Um, in our physio rooms, we're all masked up and gowned up and gloved up and full sort of protection there. Um, and it is harder because you communicate with your face a lot, don't you? So certainly from a class teaching point of view, um, if it was my choice, I would encourage the use of the visor. Um, and then the other thing to think about in your classes is obviously all of our machines are sprayed down um, prior to class by the teacher. And then they are cleaned by the clients as well um, after class. Um, every bit of equipment that, uh, or every part of the equipment that they've touched. Um, no small equipment is being used by us. We've removed all of the small equipment from the studios. Um, and if we do have a class, for example, that's a Pilates with props class, then people are asked to bring their own small equipment um, if they have that. Uh, music is the other consideration that we need to think about here. Um, and the reason for that is that the higher the volume of music, the louder your voice will be, and therefore the greater the transmission of any droplets. So we know that in the majority of our Pilates classes, music isn't really an issue at all. And you may decide that just like Joe did when he was teaching, not to use music at this time. Um, certainly down in our rehab studio, that's a decision we've made at this present time. Um, but a background, a slow, soft background music noise just to create some atmosphere obviously won't have too much of an impact. But if you are running strength-based classes or maybe cardio classes or HIIT classes and you normally do have that um, higher volume of music, there is a consideration for you to be made there about 
is that in line with your COVID policies about um, decreasing risk of transmission? So maybe just something to think about on that side. Um, we are using the fogging machines um, as well, um, and that is a um, sort of optional choice for you guys all, as you know, um, but that just gives a complete disinfectant across the room in between classes and, and will touch all surfaces themselves. We've reduced the tactile teaching of our teachers so they don't give as much tactile feedback and we have our clients changing the springs so it's um, a little bit uh, less risk of cross-contamination in any way there. So that's our reformer classes. And my experience to feed back to you is reformer classes and the return of clients to reformer classes has been really positive. Um, a little bit slow in the first couple of days, but we got some great feedback from our clients about how safe they felt in our facilities. And we were able to share that with our, um, our clients and our members. And I think that reinforced a little bit of confidence and those classes really are starting to come on and we're starting to put on more classes and um, having classes, I say fully booked, fully booked at reduced capacity, right? So it's not really fully booked, but doing the best we can there. Um, and the mat studio, I have to admit, mat classes for us have been a lot slower to come back. Um, and so I think here you have that choice between, um, you know, are you going to do in-house mat classes or Zoom or both or how to and what do clients want? And I think that's one that we're still trying to figure out ourselves. Um, my, my gut feel, and I think I mentioned this in the other episode as well, is that I, I do think mat classes in studios are going to be a bit slower to come back. Um, and so you know, Zoom and online classes um, where you're not using the specialist equipment such as the reformer or the studio equipment, um, it may be that that's a tougher balance right now. So what we're doing, not saying it's the right way, but what we're doing is actually we are offering uh, mixed classes. So what that means is that the class is um, a choice of the clients. We have Normally we have eight to nine people in our MAC classes. We've halved that, taken it down to four live in-studio classes per MAC class, and the rest can continue via Zoom. So we've looked at the setup, a um, few teething problems in terms of sound and glare and what have you on the first day where we're doing the combined classes of both in-clinic or at-home via Zoom. Um, but we sorted that out with a, a few technical upgrades, some changes of screen, changes of position, um, tested it all out in terms of sound qualities as well. Um, and you know after the second day uh no real issues there um but having said that so what we're doing is basically three ways of classes reformer classes in studio mat classes in studio or zoom and additional classes solely zoomed based so we have three ways for people to undertake their sessions um, my gut right now is again those studio classes are coming back and I think they will be quick to come back. So if there is anyone out there and you're thinking about what direction to take your business in in future, um, then I, I would say that studio-based reformer or equipment classes is I think the safest way from a business point of view of moving forward. So um, if you've been sort of umming and ahhing about whether you progress from mat onto equipment and update your skills that way. Um, I think this pandemic may well have changed the shape of in-studio Pilates sessions. And um, it's a trend we've been seeing on the education side of our company over the last 18 months, a, a gradual increase, well, not a gradual, quite a significant increase in people coming onto the reformer and the equipment courses. And 
I think like many things like home working and online shopping, this pandemic has maybe pushed that trend a little bit quicker and further along the bar. So that might be something uh, that you want to uh, consider as well. Um, so we're working on a week-by-week -week basis. And the other thing that um, I would say to the studio owners out there is this is a time where you really have to look at your governance and your statistics. So really look at what classes are working for you. We've been hit so hard, haven't we, in so many different ways that you just can't afford to continue to run classes that aren't profitable for you guys. So look at what classes are working. If you have done this already, you have opened, you know, open with fewer classes, get them full and then increase rather than opening with too much choice, running classes with too few people for you to actually um, earn some money out of this because while it is a very giving community that we live in and our job is very much about the client first and making sure that we're looking after our clients um, at the end of the day we do have a business to run and we do have to make sure that our overheads are covered and without much support for our industry it's really important that you you look at this from a, a business management point of view and there will be some hard decisions to make um, and we've had to make those hard decisions as well we haven't been able to bring all of our teachers back in um, we've had to look at the structure of how our business runs in terms of employed versus self-employed um, people as well and, and what gives us the best sort of management strategy in how we run the business so you know it is it is that time now uh, to just continue to review how you run your businesses and what's right for you in terms of your studios whether it be a, a building that you own or if you're running out of uh, halls or other people's premises just you know look at what's feasible for you and how do you actually make this work for you so look that's a, a quick summary i guess from our point of view happy to answer any more specific queries or questions that you may have in relation to studios opening and some of those have been put forward in our questions and answers here for this episode so why don't i get on to those now um, and our first question here comes from Catherine. Um, and Catherine's asked, uh, since the COVID pandemic, she's been teaching all Pilates classes online. She is looking at the feasibility of returning to village halls at some point and wanted to ask what advice we would give on number of participants in a class at this time. Um, she highlights that some fitness instructors are limited to six max. Does this apply to us, where I could normally fit 12 into a room some rooms I think would only be appropriate to have eight to ensure there is one to two meters distance. Equally, one hall is large, so 12 spaced out should be fine. Um, so look, Catherine, my understanding of the guidance right now is that we are not limited to how many people per class, as long as we are providing our services in line with government guidance. And so that government guidance is two meters apart where possible, if not one meter plus a form of protection i.e. one meter squared around your mat plus a form of protection and that would predominantly be yourself having some form of face covering there limit your tactile feedback and ensure that the mats themselves um, are for the client so that's a uh, another point to touch on we are not offering clients mats clients need to bring their own mats and Catherine I'd suggest that would be the same for you 
Um, now, just as an aside, and, and, and this isn't a sort of business podcast for us, but there is, again, an opportunity there. Um, we have an affiliate program through our product business where um, you guys can sell our products to your clients. And so if that um, is something to that interests you, then please get in touch with the Institute because we you can effectively add all of our products for sale onto your website. And so if it is a case that clients need to buy mats, you can get... The, the the same quality mats that we have, and predominantly the 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 blue mats that we have, which are fully um, wipeable. So they're not like a TPE, a soft mat where you can't really clean those. We have the jute mats, which is a slightly harder surface, and it is fully cleanable from the client's point of view. But my recommendation is that you are not providing mats. So how do you ensure the spacing of those mats? Well, little stickers on the floor to show where the mats go so a little bit of pre-planning needed getting into that hole a little bit earlier and marking out your places for your mats um, but that would would be uh, my advice to you so as i said for us we halved the size of our classes um, but that was more to ensure that we had the the space to have the technology in order to zoom and do live classes at the same time um, so, Catherine, I hope that answers your question there and any of, um, anyone else with a similar question there, um, hopefully that answers that. And if not, please send a question in and I can address it in more detail. Uh, Melissa, please could you advise RE distance required between clients? Oh, whether you <laughs> advise clients to provide their own mats, how you correct clients' positions during the class, and how to deal with shared equipment. Okay, Melissa, so similar sort of theory here, and I've answered a few of these, but just to go over it as clearly as I can for you. Two metres when appropriate, one metre plus when not appropriate.